welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Anglican Church of Franklin, Pennsylvania. Through every sermon, we hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. To find out more about our church, visit our website at franklinredeemer.org. I don't know if you've ever um, engaged this. I don't know how common it is today uh, as it was. I, I, there was a period of time where if you would go to a mall or uh, to like a box store or something else, there were at times those who would be, be, be there and um, would come up to you and then ask you this question. If you would die tonight, where would you be? I mean, it's, it's a poignant question. It's a little, a little shocking at times whenever it's a complete stranger just coming and, and asking that question. Um, but it's, it's actually you know, a loaded question. It's, it's, it's to begin to cause you to think about your ultimate destination. And, and really what it's pressing into is if you die, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? The hard thing is, is, is I'm not sure um, how I would answer that question. One, we'll talk about it a little bit, but actually the scriptures aren't completely clear of the state of the soul, the soul immediately after death. Um, but secondly, survey data shows that the majority of Christians, maybe, maybe us here, that the, the majority of those who claim to be Christian in America's vision of our ultimate destination, understanding of heaven, is actually a place I'm pretty sure I'll never end up. Because often what happens, it, it, the vision is, is, is either you know, something that was maybe drawn from childhood watching of Looney Tunes or something like that, where heaven is this place of being on a cloud with harps and you just kind of float around in this like disembodied realm and play harp music. Or often it's just a depiction of, of, of a really, really, you know, gaudy place in the sky that has just like you know, streets of gold and, and, and big mansions everywhere. Or, 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 or oftentimes when you hear people talk about it, it's, it's just kind of like a, a, a virtual reality fantasy land where there's no limitations and wherever our mind goes and whatever, whatever we desire will just occur. And so if it's just donuts and golf, then that's what heaven is. Or whatever that might be. The problem is, as I said, the scripture is actually somewhat vague regarding that particular question. Where would our souls be upon death? Not completely vague. I, it, scripture does teach that at least for those in Christ to be separate from the body is to be present with the Lord, but there's not a ton of detail or description about that. 
Because the scriptures are actually far more focused and way more clear. Not regarding where we go when we die, but instead where we will ultimately dwell after Christ's return. After the second advent. It's a picture, an idea that in the Old Testament, as we read in in Isaiah, and you see it elsewhere throughout the Old Testament prophets of this idea of the new heavens and the new earth. There's other terms used for it throughout the New Testament. But if you were here last week, I, I talked about how you think about God impacts our hope. It impacts how we live out our faith and how, It impacts how we live in the here and in the now. And so this week, I want to talk about how we think of our ultimate destination, how we think of heaven, and how much that impacts how we live out our faith here and now. And I'm going to focus on this concept of the new heavens and new earth depicted in our Old Testament reading. But not by just sitting in that Old Testament reading and breaking it down, but in looking at how that concept, that prophetic imagery unfolds throughout Scripture. And how it impacts us right now. So going to our our reading today from Isaiah 65, just a little bit of context. It's it's in a broader section of Isaiah in which after talking about the the imminent exile that was going to occur and destruction um, by the invasion that was going to happen to Israel, you have Isaiah moving to this future picture of God's ultimate and final judgment. In which he will judge all of the enemies of Israel, but also judge Israel itself. We had read about this uh, a few weeks ago where Isaiah is crying out where he will rend open the heavens. And he will come down and he will put all things right. And following this depiction of this kind of final judgment and cleansing that God was going to do, we have what we read today. And then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. And this shapes the Jewish understanding of of the ultimate destination, the ultimate end. It kind of grew and developed throughout the prophets and came to be solidified sometime after the end of the Old Testament canon. The last bits were penned. And within the Jewish concept of heaven or the final destination, what's interesting is if you go through the Old Testament, there is very little discussion of the immediate life after death. All we have is the statement that those who die end up in Sheol, both the righteous and the unrighteous. And Sheol is just a shadowy place that nobody knows what it is. But then what we find within the Old Testament, within the Jewish hope, is an emphasis on this future time in which they believe God would come. That God would bring an end to the current age of corruption and sin. That God would make all things new. And in doing that, God's righteousness, his presence will fill the land. Within the Jewish construct and understanding, heaven is actually not a place. 
Heaven is actually anywhere in which the full presence of God resides. The immediate verse after what we had read in Isaiah, God says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What it's depicting here in that imagery and language is heaven is wherever God's full presence, his full reign, his full sovereignty is manifest. But in some ways, heaven is still separated from earth. And we see that, that after the, the culmination of the Old Testament canon leading into the time of Christ, most Jews had this view that after God came in judgment, in which he would judge the living but also the dead in Sheol, there would be a general resurrection, a physical resurrection of all who had died, and those who were deemed righteous would then dwell in the new heavens and the new earth. And what's interesting, if you go back and read through the many different depictions of the new heavens and the new earth, both in our reading today, but in others, it's interesting that, that this idea of the end destination is described as, as, as earth. And often describes very mundane, earthy things. And those depictions, it describes planting vineyards and making wine having jobs, eating, commerce and relationships. Yet also in those descriptions, it's very, very much unlike our experience here and now. Because in the midst of that very mundane seeming life as humans on earth, it also depicts these things being done in a reality in which corruption, decay, injustice, suffering, unrighteousness, basically all of the effects of the fall on God's good creation have been dealt with and removed. Fast forward, and by the time that we get to the time of Jesus... We see that this idea of the new heavens and the new earth begins to take on some other terms. See, in the first century during the time of Jesus, they began referring to this coming of judgment and the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth through this term of the kingdom of God. Or sometimes the kingdom of heaven. And the reason they called it that is because that very idea that Isaiah depicts of of heaven being the throne of God, his rule and reign, earth his footstool, that in that day when God makes all things new, the day of the Lord in which the new heavens and the new earth will be created, God's throne will be seated upon his footstool. His kingdom and reign will come. And that's what they were longing for and looking for. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray. And we pray every Sunday. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. One day on earth as it is right now in heaven. And what's interesting is Jesus and the New Testament authors do not counter this Jewish vision. 
but instead they just bring it into greater clarity. I mean, we see this with Jesus. If you know the story of, of Lazarus when he died. And in that story, after Lazarus died, we, we have Martha coming to Jesus. She's kind of ticked off at Jesus. Because he wasn't there. She says, if he was there, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus responds to her and says, but Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha responds, I know, in the resurrection on the last day. I mean, so Martha is depicting this Jewish vision, this understanding of the ultimate end and destination, the ultimate end of all things, where things are heading and going. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, you silly, silly woman. Still following those Jewish ideas. No, no, no. The Greeks were right. He's just going to go and... You know, exist in a disembodied realm of the forms. Like, no, she, he doesn't correct her. He says, no, what you don't understand is that that is true and that will occur. But I am the resurrection and the life. That all of these things pointing to this reality of the new heavens and the new earth, the day of the Lord, the kingdom of God. Is coming in and through me. And it says throughout the Gospels, what was the message that Jesus came proclaiming? The good news of the kingdom of God. But what's interesting is if you read Isaiah, I mean, even we had read, read uh, the other week, uh, when Isaiah was looking at the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, the kingdom of God, and realize one longingly that he was going to deal with all of their enemies, all of the corruption. And then there was that, that, that oh shoot moment of like, we're corrupt. <laughs> and then he cries out, who's going to save us? Because see, the, the coming of the kingdom of God was not necessarily good news, but Jesus came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Because yes, the righteous will be raised and the righteous will inherit the new heavens and earth. The righteous will dwell in the kingdom of God. And our righteousness is not based upon anything that we have done or will do, but what he did. We are declared righteous by grace. It is the comforting and securing good news that the one who will come to judge is the one who bore our judgment. And so he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. And we see in the New Testament authors, like in last week, we saw Peter bringing hope to the church, but how? By pointing to the second advent, the second coming of Christ, by pointing back to Isaiah 65. That we just read by pointing back to the idea of the new heavens and new earth. But Peter in that is clarifying that what Isaiah is, is pointing toward is a reality that Jesus will fulfill and do upon his return. That he is the one that will do all these things. We also see throughout Paul's letters, he uses a new term for this idea of the new heavens and the new earth. He calls it new creation. The work that God is doing within the world. 
But what's interesting with Paul is he says that it's not just a future destination that we can answer a question that was asked us in a mall about. Instead, he says that he, he begins to, to describe not just a future destination of the new creation, but calls us new creation. Often we read that um, and translate it wrong and say, you are a new creation, as in like, oh, okay, nice, you're being... No, he uses the same direct Greek word where he's speaking of new... New creation is coming, but you are already part of it now. You are new creation. And then we see the culmination of the apocalyptic book of Revelation. Just as a side note, Revelation means apocalypse because apocalypse means to reveal. And so Revelation is revealing the full fulfillment, the full understanding and meaning of those things that were spoken of in the past, of what we just read today. Here's a portion of, of Revelation 21, the very end, not the very end of 21, but He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new." Sounds a lot like the language used by Isaiah. But in some ways, God's fulfillment of what Isaiah pointed to is even grander and greater than what Isaiah could imagine within his prophetic mind. He's bringing clarity to us what Isaiah saw dimly and revealing the future hope of the fulfillment of what Isaiah had pointed to. And what's interesting is this is not a vision of what most cultures of the world pictured. Whether you were Greek or Roman, whether you were Egyptian, or what, this idea where like, we, when you're buried, we're going to put trinkets with you so that then you can have that with you in your afterlife. And that, and that, that the ultimate destination is somehow escaping this, this realm and then we become angelic beings that just exist In this idea of heaven, it flies in the face of most pictures and visions of the ultimate hope of going to heaven someday, and instead gives a depiction of heaven coming to us someday, coming into our midst, coming down to earth. As you read through 21, you see a depiction of this new heavens and new earth. And one of the depictions is right in the heart of it. It says it's the throne of God. In the middle of his creation. The throne has now been placed upon the footstool. And so yes, our destination is heaven. 
which is the realm of the full presence and rule of God. But we see in the Jewish hope, the biblical hope, heaven will be a very real and physical place in which in many ways it'll be much like now, at least the way it's depicted. But in other ways it will be completely new because every facet of life and our existence will be restored and will be made right. It's a picture of earth as it ought to be, as it was intended to be. A picture of the garden, but not a localized place within God's creation, but encompassing the whole of God's creation, in which the presence of God fully dwells. It's a picture that might be somewhat familiar, but is gloriously foreign to us. A picture where Suffering is no more. Every tear will be wiped away. The former will be forgotten. Those broken relationships will be finally restored. That, that, that cancer that is eating away your loved one um, will no longer come back. Where that sin that we can't beat, that just keeps nagging us and keeps making us feel like, I hate why am I even freaking coming to church because I'm a freaking hypocrite because that darkness, that will be no more and be dealt with. Those nagging addictions, the hate, the injustice, the children dying because of our wars, and our perversions. It'll be very much in some ways like this, but it'll be nothing like this. It'll be gloriously foreign to us. And I share this with you because understanding the biblical vision of heaven does not just impact our theological view. doesn't just give an annoying answer to try to respond to somebody who asks you where you're going when you die. You know what I mean? Like, it, that's not just what it does. Yes, it points to an ultimate future hope, our final destination, but it also impacts how we live here and now. And especially does so when we understand our relationship to heaven our relationship to the kingdom of God now. If you look through the scriptures, this theme that is so central through the New Testament, that so central to the ministry of Jesus, the scriptures teach us that while we await the second advent, while we await the coming new creation, it says that right now we are called new creation in Christ. As I said, Paul did. That we belong to the to the to the age to come, even though we live in the midst of the current age. As we look ahead to the kingdom of God, the coming of heaven, Scripture says that we are citizens of that kingdom right now. We are called citizens of heaven. And if you think about what that means, it means 
that we are from another land. Our citizenship is to another kingdom. Our allegiance is to a different king. I don't know if, if you've ever lived and worked in a foreign country um, or know somebody who, who, who is from another kingdom, another country, is a citizen somewhere else, but, but lives and works here. There's an interesting um, thing that tends to happen. No matter where we go, we always bring our, the, citizen, uh, the, the culture, the customs, the, the practices of our, 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 our true home country to whatever country we move to. And a lot of times we carry with us like a desire for people to kind of know. Like, I mean, like moving from Pittsburgh to Northern Virginia is not moving to a foreign country. But I sure as heck wanted to make sure everybody knew I was from Pittsburgh. <laughs> and everybody who came over, all them Southern people who couldn't even pronounce the word, I want to make sure that they got pierogies and halushki. And they understood parts of my culture and country. I remember whenever we lived in Pittsburgh, I, I, I loved it. It was fun. We, we lived in a neighborhood called Morningside. And, and originally that neighborhood was settled by Italians. It was all Italian. And they were all you know, off the boat Italians. And so the older generation that still lived there, English was their second language. They were still citizens of Italy. And, and most of them let you know that. And it was glorious. I, I mean, because then when, when, when we moved in, they wanted to share their culture, their customs with us. So we moved in. I had a bunch of neighbors bringing me fig trees. Like, what the heck am I going to do with a fig tree? They let me know. They explained very clearly. I, you know, and, and, and there was, there, you know, there, there were the, the gathering of all the old men smoking cigars around the bocce court, yelling at each other in Italian. And wanted to share the food with us. I remember, you know, and trying to instruct me on how to properly care for things. Because in that area, we didn't have much, much, much space. But over our back porch, there was like a 25-year-old grapevine that a, the former person had grown. And, and I realized that there's a very specific way that you're supposed to prune grapes. And sweet Mr. Costa, he lived, lived next door, um, he, he sat on his lawn chair. Mr. Costa never felt the need to learn English. Um, and so Mr. Costa would just sit there and stare at me and just start screaming at me in Italian because I was clearly screwing up. I um, mean, I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong. But see, he was trying the best he could to train me in the ways. Because Italians know how to prune a, a, a grapevine. <laughs> but a kid from, from Greensburg doesn't know how to prune a grapevine. But, but what you see is that in, in that reality is that if you are a citizen of another country, a citizen, your home is another land, even though you're in a foreign land, while you are there, you are living out and trying to expose the customs, the practices, the reality of that kingdom, that, rea- that world in which your true set- citizenship rests. <laughs> Scripture also speaks of us as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is one who has loyalty to another kingdom, but goes and resides in in a different kingdom to represent their true kingdom to that nation. Setting up an embassy 
No matter where you are in the world, if you step on a U.S. embassy soil, you're under U.S. law. And so as ambassadors where we reside, and in some ways the church itself is to be an embassy of the kingdom, wherever it falls. And see, the thing is, is unlike what some in the 19th and 20th century had hoped We don't establish the kingdom of God. We see that God is the one who does it. Jesus in his second advent will. The kingdom comes to us. But as citizens of that kingdom now, we bring the customs and practices of the kingdom of God. The customs and practices of heaven to whatever kingdom you currently reside in. And that's why your vision of that matters. Because how do you do that if your vision is that we're floating around like swaddled babies with a harp? (laughs) I don't know how you manifest that. Or if your vision is just to be able to indulge in whatever pleasures you want with no consequences. I mean, you might do that, but I don't think that's what we're being called to do. But instead... Even though we didn't read all the depictions of the new heaven and earth, we see that it does encompass every minute, mundane facet of our life. It encompasses work and agriculture, cooking and eating, creating, fellowship, family, relationships. And so as citizens of the new kingdom of heaven, what we see is all of these things matter. And yet also take on a completely new meeting. We will not establish the kingdom, and so we will never eradicate injustice, suffering, sickness, despair, etc. But as citizens of heaven in this foreign land, we will be offended by it knowing that this is not how it ought to be. And we will seek to manifest even glimpses of our customs and our culture within our world. To try to comfort the suffering. To try to bring healing to the sick. To try to seek justice where there is injustice. To try to bring comfort and community to those who are broken and who are lonely. But ultimately, if you look at all these depictions, what makes the kingdom of God the kingdom, what makes heaven heaven, is the presence and reign of God. A presence and reign that we get to participate in by, by pure grace and mercy. We are citizens of this new kingdom by birth. Not our natural birth, but our new birth that is ours by grace alone. And so as citizens, we point to our king, and we point to the nature of our king, and we point to how one is able to become a citizen of that kingdom, which is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. So in closing, the song you might know, um, probably don't, maybe not, I don't know, but um, Johnny Cash, had a song, no, no Earthly Good. 
And in the song, the chorus was, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I, I get what Johnny was saying there. But actually, that's only true depending upon what your vision of heaven is. Because in some ways, if we have that greater vision that is given to us of heaven, of the new creation, then actually the more heavenly minded we can get, the more earthly good we will be. So back to the question, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? I think yes, but I think that that question is not getting at the real question that we need to be asking. I think the more pressing question that is asked from Scripture is as a citizen of heaven by God's sheer grace now, what does that mean for every mundane thing you will face tomorrow when you wake up? What does that mean when you face disease, suffering, death, brokenness, addiction, shame from sin that you cannot remove. What does that mean as you face into the broken reality of the kingdom in which we live right now? And what does that mean as you interact with others as a foreigner in your own land, as a citizen of a different kingdom? For by grace, Jesus came in the first advent to make you and I citizens of heaven, citizens of the kingdom of God, and we look with certainty toward the second advent in which he will return to establish that kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth, in which we will dwell forever. And at that point, we will finally be home. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for upcoming sermons and consider joining us in person for Sunday worship. To learn more, check out our website at franklinredeemer.org. Thy mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart, and the boast of my tongue.